many of you struggle with patience, by the way? Anybody? We've got a, a room full of angelic beings or liars, but I wouldn't say that. Issues of patience, issues of saying to God, why don't you give it to me now? How many of you are frustrated or have been frustrated with God because things don't seem to happen? I mean, we all get into those places. Some of you are really in denial because I know you and you're not putting your hand up <laughs> or you're asleep. But there's this whole thing of, uh, you know, how do we... God isn't into magic. I'm just going to add to that word about looking for impartation because impartation is, is a real thing of God releasing. But a lot of people are going looking for magic. They're going to look for, please lay hands on me so I don't have to work it out. And that's why it doesn't work out. Because impartation is about God empowering you to become the person who will actually work it out with him. Maybe wanting, creating in me a desire for something initially I didn't desire. But God isn't into magic. If you want magic, you go to fortune tellers and you go for, to other people. And one of, the, one of the big issues we have, I think, one of the ways we get discouraged is we, we're looking for magic when he's looking for process. We're looking for magic when he's looking for forming us. I mean, how many of you would plant a seed and then bring it up to the front of the church to ask God to make it grow overnight? And when it doesn't grow overnight, I don't believe in God anymore. You don't do that. That's Jack and the Beanstalk. That's a fairy tale. And so it's really, really important and helpful when we understand that God is actually a God of process. And he's a God who doesn't just do things because... We've said this many times in this church. A lot of people want anointing for whether it's healing or for whatever. So, so Grant can pray to be able to play the guitar overnight, but he won't do, it won't happen. But what might happen is it comes easily, but he still has to practice. It's always that way. Why? Because God is wanting to do something in us so that he can do something through us. So he, he's not going to release things on you that you can't carry because they'll destroy you. So he wants to be able to work in you so that he can build you to carry the thing that you're asking him for. And we talked about the soldier and putting on the armor. We've, and I'm not going to go through that all again. But the, the, the weapons of God don't sound like weapons to us. He calls them fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, but they are weapons. And what I want to talk about this morning is patience. Patience is a weapon. I mean, how many of us overreact? How many of us react? How many of us just go ballistic? How many of us go into despair just because something doesn't work? It's embarrassing. But we can easily be these instant gratification people where it's got to happen now. It's not fair. Or you whine all the time because it's not going your, your way. How much, how, I mean, do you enjoy that? Do you enjoy listening to whining? Do you enjoy whining? Do you enjoy getting angry? Do you enjoy feeling depressed, which is anger turned inward? That's where we live, isn't it? We live in all these emotions here. And so... If we can understand that God is a God beyond time who will help us wherever we are, we can actually learn how to walk in peace. And we can le learn how to walk in a way that doesn't cause us to have kind of false expectations. P uh, patience is a weapon whereby you start saying, if I don't get it today, maybe tomorrow. And maybe the thing that I'm going for. I mean, I remember big decisions like going to England uh, to study. And I didn't know... I was going to go to England. I thought I was going to go to, to a college in South Africa, which is, which is a very dead environment. And I went through the selection board because to go into ministry, you went through six interviews with people to see if they thought that at least you should take the next step. 
And before that, somebody who had mentored me a little bit, it was the only guy in my life who'd actually turned up, um, said, I think you should actually go to England and here's the, the plane fare. So I told the people who I was interviewed that and um, submitted to them and they came back and said, well, we've accepted you to go to study. Um, if you can raise the funds, you can go to England. Um, and so that, that's another story. But I mean, God provided, uh, I didn't have any money to go to, to Oxford. Oxford was a big name drop and there's a theological college there, so it sounds grander than it is, but I don't have to s- explain. Um, what I mean by that is I could have swept the streets in, in Oxford for three years, and I just say I lived in Oxford, and people fill in the blanks wrongly, and I look better. <laughs> so anyway, but he provided, you know, uh, from nothing really to, to three years there. But my point is that I, I, I want to put that there, the going to England, then coming to Port Alberni was another one of, of getting a phone call, am I interested I don't know about you, but when you kind of get these opportunities or possibilities, you kind of go, I want to know now. And what I found God did with me on those two occasions was it was six weeks. The first two, I'm going, I want to go, I want to go, when am I going to go? Why don't they get on with it? God, for goodness sake, I'm really antsy. And the next two weeks is a, is a kind of compromise between frustration and sulking, I think. Uh, oh, well. And it's the last two weeks that I found that it was like, okay, whether I go or don't go, I'm much more open to it now. And it was just this process of me learning how to settle down, to trust. And I don't know a way, I've never been able to find a book that can do it for me or a prayer that can do it for me. I've got to live it. And a lot of these things we have to live together. And some days we're better at it than other days. And some days we need one another to remind us of God's faithfulness. The thing that I... I'm so against is theory and spiritual, spiritual, spiritualizing things. It's about working through the progr- process. So you, you look at, and, and, and look, at, look at the people that God used. I mean, you open the sp- pages of Scripture. I'm just going hi- to highlight a few to encourage you. Remember Abraham and Sarah. They're classic ones for patience. In Genesis 12, Abraham is, seven, Abraham is 75 years old. And this is when Abraham comes onto the scene. If you want a passage for why God doesn't say you should retire when you're 60, this is a good one. He only started being used when he was 75. There's hope for some of us. And God called Abram at 75 and said, I'll make you the father of many nations. I mean, that's like calling Bob up here and saying, hey, Bob, sorry to wake you, but, um, you know, Bob, you're going to be the father of many nations and you're going to go, what do you mean have more children? Would you two like more children, Bob and Diana? Do you want to come up here and, and we can pray for you? Abraham and Sarah? Well, that's what Abraham and Sarah might have felt too. What do you mean? And God said, I will, I will bless you and I will make you the father of many nations. That was his prophetic word from a conference. Eleven years later, Abraham and, Sa- Abraham and Sarah are going, um, I don't want to get into what they were up to. Eleven years of trying to have a child. They gave up and they said, well, there's a slave girl, Hagar, and, and, and maybe that's the way God's going to fulfill his promise. So they took their eyes off him and said, this makes sense to us. If it's not going to happen between us, Sarah says very nobly, you can use the slave girl to have a child and we'll fulfill God's promises according to our own wisdom. And so that's what they did. And it wasn't a very happy outcome. Abraham was 86 at that stage when Ishmael was born. 13 years later, This is 24 years after he's got the word. God speaks to Abraham. Abraham is now 99 years old. And he says, you'll be the father of many nations. And when Abraham was 100 years old, Isaac was born. 
Hebrews 6. Now you, you go, why? I mean, why does God cause all of that? Why does he kind of give them this word and then it waits so long? Because Abraham went on a journey. Good news and bad news. God is really faithful. The bad news is, if you want to deal with patience, the bad news is this. It's not all about you. I know we all want to be the center of the universe, but it's much easier to say, Lord, what else have you got going on that you might be doing that would cause me to need to wait and trust? And one of the things he'll say is, there are other things I'm doing, so I'm waiting and working on those. The other thing I'm waiting and working on is, it's taken me 24 years, Abraham, to make you into the kind of father that I'm going to deliver a son to. Because if you think I was going to give a son to you 24 years ago, you had too much going on in you. I'm making that up. But the best way of seeing God working, probably the deepest lesson he gave me when I was struggling and, take, and, and very, very not knowing where I was going, was a word that just said, live a day at a time and do whatever you see at hand for that time. Hurry up with the candies because it's really irritating. <laughs> or give me one. Um, there's a, you know, it, it's about pay attention to what's at hand. You know, if, you, if you're doing some, if, you, if you're patiently waiting, I'm going to get to this right at the end, but if you're patiently waiting, it's not waiting. It's actually doing. And do whatever's at hand. Keep busy. Not busy to avoid, but just take hold of what you can see obviously because what you can see obviously might be the stepping stone to the supernatural. I think in many times we're way too spiritual. And I mean by that we, 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 av- we avoid the obvious. And I tell you, if you avoid the obvious, you will miss the supernatural. You will misinterpret the supernatural. So Abraham waits 24 years to have that child. And then we could do another teaching which just says as soon as he had the child, no, it did, wasn't as soon as, but it was years afterwards, God says, I want you to give that child up. I want you to sacrifice that child. You see, there's an element where God says, am I Lord or not? Am I God? Do I have authority over you or not? And he's going to test you. And he's going to see how we respond when we ask to give it up and we ask to take it up. It's just the way it is with God. But it's not because he has a bad plan for us. It's because he wants to grow us up. There are things going on in your lives right now, all of our lives, where God is at work and we just need to know that he is at work. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one great of him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. And there's a time, there's a time to, one of the ways of, of dealing with things that aren't, aren't yet happening is to just say, thank you, Lord, that things are happening. So I'm expectant. I'm patiently expectant. And then we also sometimes want to test and see that the things we're expectant for are things that actually God might give us. That's why we need one another. Humility is about testing things because we can call up things in one another and sometimes we can also say to one another, I, don't, I think you're chasing after the wrong thing. So sometimes the patience is to let go of something we're asking for that he's not going to give us because it's not good for us. And another time the patience is about waiting because he's preparing us in order to receive what he's giving. Does it make sense? It's kind of like being a child. All of the things I'm talking about today will be the same as what we tell our children. I want to drive the car. No, you can't until you're 16. Well, I'm only five. I'm going to have to wait. You know how long 11 years is to a five-year-old? Would you give him the keys of the car just because you feel sorry for him and he's your favorite? Well, what if that's how God works with us? I love you. I adore you. But no. Why not? I don't do tantrum. I'm not moved. 
You're cute when you jump up and down and scream, but it doesn't change me at all. I'm still saying no, because I love the other people around you, and I'm not releasing you in a car with them. I find metaphors help me grasp the meaning of it, and then go, you're right. Quickly, Joseph was another one. Joseph was 17 years old when he was... Uh, he had a dream about his father and his brothers. And he had this dream that Joseph was a little bit misguided. He, he woke up and said, hey, dad and brothers, you're all going to bow down and worship me. How would that go down in your home? Your wife and, or a husband or child says, um, I had this dream last night. I think it's prophetic. You're all going to bow down and worship me. What would you say? Yeah, that sounds like God. You'd probably say over my dead body, which is what his brothers said. And they weren't, they weren't at all impressed. So eventually they got him... Uh, they put him in a cistern for a while and then they, they, uh, a caravan train was going to Egypt and they basically gave them his, their brother and said, take this little worship idol and off he went. Joseph had this promise that he would be great and the first thing that happened after this great promise was he was taken into captivity and his life was miserable for years. He was 17 years old when he went. He was 30 years old when he was appointed a governor by Pharaoh. It was another nine years before his identity was revealed. When his, his, I won't go into the whole story. His family come to Egypt. They're looking in the midst of a drought. And uh, they eventually do bow down because he could have killed them. And then they suddenly see that he's actually, they discover that he is God. Uh, he's not God. He's, he's, he's their son. 22 years has gone by from the moment it's given to the moment it's fulfilled. What is it with God? He is so, God is so patient, he can set his, kept, his people free from, from slavery in Egypt who have been crying out to him and he sets them free and he says, my plan is to have you in the promised land in nine months, but you have to listen to me and it's going to be a journey of faith. They're so full of slavery, they don't have a mindset to have faith. They go by what they see and they logically, when they got to the promised land, as we've said many times, it didn't make any sense to them, this doesn't look like the promised land, certainly not what I had in mind. So ten of the scouts who the leaders say no and two say yes. And guess who wins? I mean, in our politically correct society, let's vote about it. But two had the vision. Two stayed with the vision, said God will be faithful. And ten said no, he won't. After all he had already done. So guess what God does? He says, fine. Walk in the wilderness. Live, in, live within the confines of your own wisdom and your own faith. When you guys are dead, I'm going to take your children in because you don't, have the, you don't have what it takes to get there. You have what it takes to get out of something. You don't have what it takes to get into something. One of the words of God for us today is God wants to just not get you out of something. He wants to get you into something. Many times all we're doing is saying, God, I want out. And he's saying, I want you in. I wonder what he wants you in. See, the, the thing about us is we want, to, we want control of everything. And unless it makes sense to us, we won't do it. And we certainly won't very often seek counsel from one another. And so we live in this place of frustration or empty promises or fear because we don't believe. And there's no problem with not believing. But there is a problem when not believing becomes your God. There's a problem when fear rules you. So sometimes we need the faith of somebody else to say, I see in you. Some, that's what Grant's testimony is about. Somebody affirms something in him that he didn't really know for himself. And then somebody affirms it in you. You say, well, maybe there's a way we can do this. Somebody came to me and said, John, this guy, Vic, I mean, I could cry over him, uh, but I won't now. Um, but he was the first man who took me out for meals and said, John, I believe in you. And I was this, believe it or not, awkward, sarcastic, difficult kid. You want to laugh at that, but you're too polite. <laughs> I can tell you. Um, 
And it was, and, and I, you know, had even more edges because I was broken and hurting. I didn't know it. I, th- I was just defiant. I don't need anybody. My family's screwed, and I'm damned if I'm going to do anything else. You know, I'm, I'm just. So I had all these characteristics of survival. And this guy Vic comes along and knocks on my door and says, uh, "John, let me take you out to lunch." And then he would sit down, and I would tease him because he would say, I, "He had these phrases: you're true blue, straight as a blade." I mean, he would have these quaint phrases. He used to be a personnel manager in De Beers Consolidated Mines, which is a massive diamond mine. And he retired early to work with people like me, encourage guys. And so in the first time in my life, I heard a man affirming me and then putting something behind it because he would, he would sort of say, in my quiet time today, and I get these little notes in the mail because we didn't have email. And he would just say, I, I just want to encourage you. And he saw in me what I had no clue about. And when I began to tiptoe towards maybe going into ministry, and it, I mean, the Anglican Church was really not a, a great vision for me because we were odd, but it was all I knew. And he says, John, I believe in you. Here's the plane ticket. We need people in our lives to call up in us things that we don't naturally grow to or we don't believe we can. I was terrified of going to Oxford. Beautiful name drop, but I was terrified that I wouldn't survive. I wasn't smart enough. It was great to be out of South Africa, but when I got there, I realized they're just people like me. And I learned there in the first year, it was about everything was challenged. Everything was challenged that I believed in. I remember going back to my room saying, everything is being challenged. And God had to whisper to me one day and say, you know, I've been through this before. Relax. I'm going to teach you how to defend the faith. I'm going to teach you how to think. I'm going to teach you how to grow in confidence. So those three years in Oxford were hugely important in teaching I mean, it was, it was three small groups every week on different topics for three years. And it, I mean, Greek was the most ridiculous thing I've ever taken in my life. Uh, what's the point of taking Greek when you're never going to know what it's going to be? You're never going to be good enough to be able to use it. But I had to do Greek with, in Oxford. I had to do Greek for a Bachelor of Divinity degree. Absolutely useless. But it just came with the course. So you kind of go, you're not going to get through this if you don't do it, so do it. I'm, I'm using these illustrations. I wasn't planning to just go there are parts of things that make no sense to us and maybe don't make sense but we just have to do it in order to become what God wants us to become and I think one of our problems is we try and self-select way too much and we need to learn how to submit to processes some of which we like and some of which we don't if we want to see what the impartation releases come into being you see it's not difficult having hands laid on you and some of us had have multiple, multiple, multiple hands laid on us and still nothing really changes. And it's because we're not paying attention to the rest of life. Does that make sense? I know it's not good news because I wish it could be just... <laughs> oh, there we go. Who wants joy? <laughs> hey, we've got joy now. It doesn't work that way. And why I guess I'm saying it, I hope it's encouraging because it's what your experience is, isn't it? And instead of going, oh, it doesn't work, you go, oh, it's not the whole story. I mean, I can pour gas over everything, but if I don't pour it into the car, it won't really ignite in a helpful way. God's Spirit is the same. If we want God's Spirit, he's speaking to us as a church about this, if we want God's Spirit to anoint us so that we live between the open heaven and the open hands, if we want to see the kingdom of God come in this place, what he's saying to us is get your relationships working. Because I come among a people who are in agreement. Now, you can worship as much as you like and you can actually scream out as much as you like and you go to as many conferences, but if you're not in agreement and not in relationship in your home, you're not trustworthy, you don't walk with integrity, you're not open and honest with each other, I will not come. 
You can pretend you, I'm coming because lots of people do that, but I will not come with power. And that's not an accusation. That's not a negative. It just, it's just how he works. The Holy Spirit is sensitive. The Holy Spirit needs to be honored. The Holy Spirit needs to have freedom and obedience. So we're encouraging each other. It matters. Patience. Quickly, quickly, quickly. We could do the patience of Job, which actually probably Job was the guy who got tested and lost everything, family, kids, every, everything, and then got, it all got brought back. That his, his endurance probably lasted months, not certainly years. You remember David is another example. David was anointed king, of, of a king when he was a little shepherd boy in the fields. It was 14 years later that he became king of Judah. It was another seven years before he became king of Israel. And in between, while he was not king, when he was anointed but not anointed as king yet, enthroned as king, he was being chased around by the king who was in residence and who was trying to kill him. Again, what I'm trying to say is don't pay attention to your circumstances and say your circumstances are a reflection of how God feels about you. They're not. Your circumstances are made up of people who have all kinds of attitudes and issues Many things about which you can't control. So we have to learn how to, how do I stand firm believing when the circumstances around me seem to be contradicting everything God has promised. That should be encouraging in a funny kind of way. In, in the New Testament, there's a guy called Simeon in Luke chapter 2. Simeon uh, was in, 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 the, uh, in the temple. And he's the guy who, uh, when Mary and Joseph came into the temple, these two little peasant kids who, who apparently are carrying the Son of God and they can't even work what that means. And Simeon is like Vic to me. Simeon stands there and he takes that son, that son and he says, the Lord promised that he would show me his, his Messiah before I died. Now imagine you're a very in, maybe insecure or very certainly I don't feel very important person like Mary and Joseph would have been out of Nazareth coming into this place that is huge. It's all where the big people live. And this man sees you and he picks up your child and he says, what you have experienced, I affirm that this child is special. And you go, wow. Simeon has spent probably 80 years there and his ministry was to hold Jesus for 10 minutes and affirm to his parents that they were indeed carrying the Son of God. I mean, how many of us would say, I'll give my whole life for 10 minutes and a song because we sing the song of Simeon. You don't know. You don't know. You don't know when that moment is. You don't know the impact. You don't know. But he, humbly he served in a place that nobody saw him until he was seen. And then the other woman, Anna, was like that too. She had been married and she, was, she had been a, her husband died after seven years of marriage. So she was probably widowed from the age of about 24, 25. And she was 84 years old. For 60 years she had been in the temple. This is what Simeon says. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Anna was uh, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. She came up to them. She had a prophetic word that helped Mary and Joseph continue on what they were called to do for the next 10, 15 years. 
God's purpose was for his son to go to a cross. He didn't transport him to earth at 33 and just do the cross bit for the sins of the world. He planted him into a woman's womb. And it took 30 years before he was ready to actually start a public ministry, to be able to carry the weight of what God had anointed him for. You know, some of us, are, 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 we live either in fear or in arrogance. In fear, we never trust God with anything because we're scared and we just talk about our weakness. The arrogance is, I'll just go on and do it. And so Ishmael's come out of our ministries all the time because we take matters into our own hand. We don't have the humility to go, Lord, can I carry this? Can I carry this? Can I carry this? And the greatest, the greatest test, the greatest testimony of God's presence on someone is a, is a humility that says, I am not worthy, but I know he is. You can see that with Paul. When, when Paul writes, I mean, he talks about this. He talks about God's patience. And he says in 1 Timothy that we read, um, it's a, it, I love the way Paul writes because Paul is so, he's so smart. He's got such a track record, but he never gets in the way. He says, just before you worship me, I just killed people. Remember, and if you forget, I'll tell you. I know who I am, and left to my resources, I'm dangerous. But I'm reminding you that I'm dangerous to remind you that God is glorious, because look, he can even use me. And then this is what he says. Um, He says, uh, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me uh, to his service. Have you heard those words? I consider you trustworthy. I consider you someone I can rely on. If you want God to work in you and through you, be reliable. Can he rely on you? Or is it just an emotional thing? Next week it'll be something else. So how is he going to prepare you to be somebody he can rely on? He wants to know whether you're going to be faithful in season and out of season. He wants to know whether you're going to turn up week in and week out. He wants to know how quickly you're offended. He wants to know your character. He's going to build your character. It doesn't sound spiritual, but it's the basis that carries his spirit into the world. Even though I was, and this is what Paul said, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor, I mean, he could have left that out and sounded good, but he's rooting it in experience, which is powerful. I don't know if you've heard teachers who always talk biblically but never go personal. It kind of doesn't get rooted anywhere. And everybody's thinking, well, I know some things about you and your kids, but you never confess it. So I don't trust you as much because it sounds cool up here, but what I've heard in the marketplace over here doesn't connect and you never acknowledge it. So that causes me not to trust the thing that you're saying. Whereas if you acknowledged it, I could trust it. Because that you've shown me that you're aware, you're a work in progress, and I can actually say yes to you. It's much more relaxing being authentic. And Paul says, Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And Paul doesn't have to say this, but he does. Of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy. So that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display what? His immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him. Isn't that cool? What he's saying is God is incredibly patient with each one of us. The older you get, the more you realize that. He's not going to give up on you. He's the prodigal father waiting for the prodigal son. He's not going to give up. I mean, you can have a tantrum. You can walk the other way. You can act out. You can do whatever you like. He's still saying, I'm here. I'm not changing my character to adjust to you, your personality. Your personality is very, very disfigured. I'm waiting for you to come so that I can actually bring you closer to myself because the truth will set you free. And so God is very patient. I spent eight years battling with this with him. 
very impatiently, very angrily, very self-righteously in a funny kind of way. And he, I know what I'm talking about. He, he wasn't impressed. He didn't change his mind. Eventually, I kind of went, this isn't working. And gradually began to turn and say, Lord, help me to, to want what you want. And he began to melt me. You know the story. I'm not going into it. But I'm just saying, I'm not talking theory here. I could give you lots of experiences. I just attest to the fact that God doesn't change because I'm irritated. Because his love is such that he says, I don't back off just because you're struggling. And if you come to me, I can help you. But if you want to duke it out with me, I'll just wait for you. I'm never going to say right is wrong and wrong is right. I'm never going to agree with motives that aren't good. I'm never going to agree with attitudes that destroy other people. I'm just not going to do it. I'm never going to give you a ministry so that you can feel fulfilled when your character hasn't been worked on. I'm just not going to do it. You can get it politically, but it's not going to come from me. And I will wait for you because maybe in 10 years' time you're going to come crawling back and say, what was that about? There are no shortcuts. So I encourage you to allow God to just just continue to be saying to him, Lord, what are you teaching me now? Patiently work it out because he absolutely loves you and adores you. Last, last one and then we're done. Hebrews 12.1 is uh, illustrating this where, where the writer says this because this is part of the process. I mean, you know, if you want patience, you need perseverance. If you want perseverance and patience, you need hope. They all work together. You can't isolate one. You'll never have it. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not yet see. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a close, great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance. And, and another aspect of perseverance is, is patience. Let us run with perseverance and patience, the rate, race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. This is the last point. Patience is not passive. Patience is not sulking. Patience is not just giving in. Those are all immature things. Patience is about trusting and believing for what I do not, do not yet see. Patience is found by keeping your eyes on Jesus, not looking at the thing you're trying to have changed. You know that, don't you? If you want to actually deal with something, don't look at it all the time. There are many things in your life you might want to give up. I don't know how to do this. Well, take hold of something else and this one will begin to melt. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Jesus, thank you for your love for me. That's why worship is so important. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Let Jesus be the one who is the center. Trust him. Thank you, Jesus. I do this. I, I, I go, thank you, Jesus, that you love me. Thank you that you have this in your hand. Thank you that you, I'm your favorite. You should do that too. Play with Jesus. In the sense of speak all the, affirm, all the affirming things you could ever think that you wouldn't say to anyone else uh, because you, you don't um, or I don't. Um, but that's healing in me. You know, all the affirming, John, John, I love you. When I, when, you, when I see you, when you walk in the room, my face lights up. John, you know, you are an idiot at times, but we can work with that. And talk affirming language to yourself and hear it from the Father and see what it does to you. And then Because you see, right at the end of all of that, and you've got to learn to speak it out, at the end of all that, then he will just quietly say, so what's the problem? If I'm all of these things for you, why are you afraid? If I'm all of these things to you, why, why do you try and re- rush me? If, you, if, I, if I remind you of my promise that if you ask for bread, I won't give you a stone, why are you sulking right now? Why don't you let me actually work in you so I can work through you? Patience, peace, faith. That's what we're after. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Pay attention to what's around you. Believe what you don't yet see. Let's stand. Let's ask him to release patience or the ability to be patient. So I guess one of the ways of accessing it is just bringing before the Lord things that are causing you to feel impatient. 
things that you might be worried about right now, things that you seem to be waiting on, saying, Lord, why doesn't anything change here? Bring him those things. I mean, he knows them already, but he wants you to say them to him. JF, you need to stay here right now. It's for you, brother. I know. It's not fair. Father, I want you to bless JF. I really mean that. Bless him. This is the moment we don't walk out. This is the moment we walk in. This is the moment where all the theory I've talked about, God wants to impart it to your heart. You don't need to go, and I'm not saying this in a negative, you don't need to go somewhere else for an impartation. God will release one right now. But hear me, he only releases the resource to be able to walk it out. So Father, I bless each person standing here with your love, with your grace, with your strength, with patience, perseverance and hope. Give them revelation for where they are right now. Faith to believe what they don't yet see. Come Holy Spirit. There's no need to strive. God actually adores you. So there's, He already knows. So you just have to give him the headline. You don't have to explain it like he doesn't know. He just wants to know that you know. So many of our prayers like this are about 20 seconds of acknowledging something to him and then five minutes of receiving. That's how it works. Thank you that you hear me. Thank you that you're with me. Thank you that you're for me. Thank you that you're behind me. Thank you that you're in front of me. Thank you, Jesus. I'm safe with you. Somebody here, maybe there's more, um, that you're waiting for the right circumstances before you do something because you know what you need to do, but you're waiting for the right circumstances. And God wants to say to you, as you move forward in faith, the circumstances will change. If one of these words is for you, you'll know it because something will rise up in you. But if if you're looking at the circumstances before you act, God's saying, look to me, trust me, take steps of faith, and your circumstances will change. Father, whoever that's for, I just pray that they will know it. Be encouraged by it. You are the Lord of all. There's a strange word I got which was about a ponytail, and I have no idea why, but it was seemed to be the ponytail was tied up, obviously, and it was like God was saying, if you'll untie and let loose and just be yourself, you will find new dimensions of freedom. It's got to do with somehow putting on a brave face or being in control. I don't know. But even the word ponytail might resonate with somebody. So just speak freedom in the name of Jesus. It's this sort of strange thing as I was asking God this morning because there was a frog croaking and I was just in the background and I wasn't really listening and then I started listening and God seemed to draw my attention to that and said, um, you know, there's some frogs croaking in your life that are not background. I want you to pay attention. I want you to pay attention to what I'm saying Some of the things that you think are distractions are actually the thing I'm saying to you. So, Father, I pray revelation. You don't make things difficult, but that we would be able to hear you through the very ordinary as you make them very extraordinary. So just pray a a deep release of patience and faith today to believe despite circumstances, to believe and hope for what we don't yet see. And as I'm preparing communion, just ask God, what, what are you giving me? You might know already. Just thank him. He might say to you, well, what do you want? I hate it when you come to me and say, oh, Lord, if it's your will, whatever you want me to do. He won't do that. He'll say, what do you want? Because he's a father who loves you and he converses with you. He doesn't talk to you like if you don't say the right sentence, he won't listen to you. He just loves it when you look to him and grunt. His spirit speaks and groans. It's in the Bible. I prayed, oh, God, help, because I didn't know what else to do. And he answered, and I'm not special more than enough for you. So Father, bless what you're doing here. He is so present here right now. Just receive, receive, receive. 
Don't disengage. Let him, let him, let him just come deep into you. Thank you, Father. Patience, patience, patience. Faith, expectancy, hope. Let them be weapons in your life from today. And as we come up for communion, let that be an act of faith. As you receive the bread and the wine, just say, thank you, Jesus, that in history you have actually made something tangible so I can believe for the intangible.